Welcome to TNS, the new school at Commonweal, a collaborative learning project exploring nature, culture, and consciousness. Join us now for a conversation with Diana Lindsay and Oren Slosberg, co-presented with Healing Circles Global. Welcome to the new school. This is a program in collaboration with Healing Circles Global. It's great to have so many people from all over today. I'm Oren Slosberg. I'm the executive director at Commonweal and the co-director with Diana Lindsay of Healing Circles Global. About a month ago, we started a five-part series of which this is the fourth, featuring conversations with the lineage holders of Healing Circles Global. Our first conversation was with Diana and Christina Baldwin and Anna Linnea. Our second conversation was between Michael Lerner, the founder of Commonweal and the Cancer Health Program, and Parker Palma. Two weeks ago, we heard from Michael and Janie Brown. Janie Brown is the founder of Kalanish, a sister organization to Commonweal in Vancouver, Canada. Tomorrow, we're going to have another conversation with the panelists from the last four weeks, as well as with Lisa Sims Booth, who is the executive director of the Smith Center in Washington, D.C., which is another sister organization to Commonweal and Kalanish, which brings the model to an urban environment, as well as with Ramin Sarabi, the director of strategic partnerships and the democracy project at Commonweal. They will be joining us to the conversation with the other four panelists to both reflect on our conversations as well as to turn towards the future and see what is the role of healing circles in this new world that we're living in now. But in today's conversation, I have the honor to speak with a close friend, an author, a visionary. There's so many things I could say about Diana. She is the co-founder of Healing Circles Langley. She's the co-director of Healing Circles Global. And we'll, we'll explore the origins of Healing Circles and how it evolved into a global resource for healing, social connection, and meaningful service. Diana, I could have done more of your bio, but it seems that the story of Healing Circles is actually your story. So maybe I'll turn that over to you. How did this all begin? Oh, thank you, Oren. Well, it began in 2006, really, when I was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer. Stage four, given just months to live. And, you know, that that moment is such a deep and shocking moment. There's really nothing you can do at first. But then I um, had this idea in the middle of the night that I would reach out to my friends and invite them to come hear the story just once. It was just such a practical idea. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know how many. We did, it was a time before emails, addresses, but maybe I had 12. But 125 people showed up. And they came with washtub bases and speakers and guitars and food and picnic tables. And we sang and we danced. And at the end of the six hours that it was, it was intended to be less than two, I felt better. And I was aware of that. Mm -hmm. And I thought, but what had happened? There'd been no medical intervention, but there had been love and there had been joy. And all along this journey, people, my community, my family and my husband were there for me. Uh, both Kelly and I 
very early on in the journey because, you know, I survived my prognosis just within three months. We wanted to reach a hand back to anybody else in this situation. And so people started coming to us and speaking, you know, just telling us their story in our living room and, and on the phone. And our doctors started to ask to tell the story. And all of us trying to figure out why. We, we worked hard on that. But what really struck us as we were speaking to people was the number of people that said, you know, I don't have a Kelly. I don't have a friend network. I don't have a community network. Can you get better and, and feel love and joy if you just have a pet? And that really, really broke our hearts. And so when our business of 25 years um, decided to close, we had a building and we thought, well, we'll keep one room to continue those conversations. Kelly went to rent the downstairs and he brought in a couple just full of high-tech energy and Kelly came marching up the stairs and he said, Diana, we need to dedicate the whole building to healing. And this was a Wednesday afternoon. And Thursday morning, we were due to speak at the Whidbey Institute and we met Michael Lerner. And at lunch, we sat down and he told us this idea that he had for healing circles. And we agreed right then and there to be partners. So, you know, really a miracle that that conversation ever took place. And we gathered some people from Commonweal and we had some discussions and then Kelly got cancer. And by the time we got him all better, it was fall and we gathered a beautiful team of people on Whidbey who many of whom had had experience starting things and, and particularly in the healing field. And we, we loved all of their input. And because I had come from the business world, um, I thought that I needed to do a strategic plan and I needed a PowerPoint and I needed a, a Word document and I brought it all out. And Peggy Taylor of Why We and Young People Empowered and the Power of Hope and you know all the marvelous things that she started and Rick and Grassi who has done the gatherings at Hollyhock and at Commonweal and here at the Whidbey Institute. <laughs> Peggy turned to me and goes, uh, Diana, you're ready, and this isn't much fun. <laughs> Just open the door and respond. Mm -hmm. And that moment was pivotal for Kelly and I. In fact, it changed our life because we switched to a model of just responding to whoever comes in the door instead of thinking we needed to pre-plan a future that may never come. That reminds me, you know, when I came to Commonweal, I also came from a, a nonprofit, but that we had a product that we were selling, an amazing product for schools and the arts, and we had strategic plans. So when I came to Commonweal and I attended the Cancer Help Program, I'm like, we have to drive this and scale up the Cancer Help Program. So I convened all the different instructors in nutrition and exercise and contemplative practice and integrative medicine, and we develop instructional designs and goals and and different methodologies of how we can learn and integrate. And then we came to this part, which everybody referred to called the Commonweal Way, the Commonweal Circle. So I invited Michael Lerner, the founder of Commonweal, Waz Thomas, who was a co-founder of the Cancer Health Program, and Jennifer Stoll, who's the director of the Retreat Center and also a key part of the Cancer Health Program. And I said, Okay, what is the Commonweal Way? What is the Commonweal Circle? 
and there was silence. And I tried to find other ways to do it. And there was no way to articulate what is it that special sauce, what is it that makes the cancer health program, the healing circles, what it is. And it's something about the container that can, maybe cannot be articulated. So we can call it magic, we can call it mystery, but we know it when we see it. You know, I want to try to say why this particular webinar series involves who it involves. Because when I asked that question of Michael too, there was that, that silence. <laughs> but uh, Michael, you know, had written a lot. And so uh, there were ideas that were very fundamental to us that, that um, were really motivational. And the first was his idea of intentional healing. Mm -hmm. that you could set out to to heal independent of cure and this of course had been my experience you know there weren't supposed to be any cures so we didn't we didn't set our sights on that we set our sights on living each day with love and joy mm -hmm. and deriving whatever healing could come from that i have this funny quote from kelly because it reflects his sense of humor but also his uh intention we all have an innate ability to heal ourselves. Any small scrape is proof of that. There's also an apparent limit to that ability as demonstrated by, for example, Marie Antoinette. That leaves a considerable expanse of no man's land between what we easily can and obviously can't do. That gray area is what interests us. Mm -hmm. So it, that was the spark that, that our, got our minds going and Michael said that intentional healing was multidimensional, that it was physical and emotional and mental and spiritual. Those are some ways of categorizing it, but there's so many others. So I think that was a fundamental idea, that that's what we would be doing, is setting a place where people could come and discover their own paths to healing. And Rachel Naomi Remen said in her book, Save My Life, one December, um, afternoon. Kitchen table wisdom. Yes, kitchen table wisdom. And and she said, well, mm -hmm. we heal best in community. And that was my experience. And so that deeply resonated. And then Michael suggested that we read Parker Palmer's work together. And a hidden wholeness, as I mentioned when when Parker was on, that idea was so compelling to us because it said, all of us can heal. All of us have a wholeness waiting to be discovered. And so this wouldn't be just cancer. This could be for everybody in the community. And he said that to do that, well, you needed circles of trust and you needed safe and inviting conditions for the soul to emerge. And so we really set out to create a secular sanctuary um, you. that when you walked in the door, you would feel and you would feel its arms around you. And so those were really important ideas, even though we never got to be in the room with Parker. We were in the room with this book. Right. And then Kelly and I knew that really we weren't up for fundraising. We, we'd reached a point in our life where we were done. And so we wanted it to be sustainable through a volunteer model and a very, very inexpensive model. But we, we didn't know how to do that in a really safe container way. And we were taking a walk at the Whidbey Institute and Christina literally walked out of the woods with her backpack on. She was on a day long walk around the woods retreat for herself. 
And she, you know, I don't know, talk about these messengers from the universe. She was live and in person with a backpack on. And she said, oh, you have to come to our retreat next week. And Kelly and I both sat in the circle with Anne and Christina and go, ah, oh, this is the how. Yeah. This is how we can do it. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to give, you know, deep bows of gratitude for everybody you've already heard. And I want to bring Kelly more into the room. Um, Kelly was there for your for the whole journey of your cancer and obviously before and healing circles and Kelly passed away about 14 months ago just want to take just a moment to bring Kelly into the room thank you and I remember that day when all the different centers came together with um, Janie from Kalanesh and David from Houston, Gretchen from Harmony Hill. There were a few of us from Commonweal. And that felt like the global part of Healing Circle emerged. Maybe we could bring their voices in. Is this a good time to show the, share those videos? Oh, the, yes, that would be wonderful. I'm truly honored to have been engaged in Healing Circle's work for over 25 years, running week-long retreats for people with cancer, and we also have a center in Vancouver for ongoing programs. And truly, to me, the deepest medicine happens in a circle. It is such a strong and steady shape. Creating sacred space means that we can really uh, be there for people with a deep listening and holding uh, a place in our hearts to receive the pain and the struggles, and we can do so with uh, a kind of familiarity that we know how to do that. We've been, we've known how to do this for centuries, and I feel like we're tapping in at a time on our planet where we just really need these strong and steady shapes and places to build community and be there for each other no matter what's going on in our own hearts and all the struggles that we're dealing with on a daily basis. When we started our cancer retreats, which I know are, is a profound time of, of a healing circle, people often come frightened. And one of the quotes we usually use is, is Rachel Remens, you know, the purpose of life is to grow in wisdom and to learn to love better. We also talk, and many times I share this story of a, a research study that was done that's not well documented, but it makes a lot of sense to me, of these people that were given a, a weighted backpack to climb up a somewhat steep hill. And that what they found was that people that walked with a companion, walked with others, when they got to that top of the hill, didn't feel like the hill was as steep, nor that the weight that they were carrying was as heavy. So that's always our prayer with healing circles and work that we do, is that the journey won't be as heavy and the, the burden won't be as, as challenging, that they will feel support. The, the other thing that I think happens a lot in these circles that's so profound is people have a chance to really find their own inner wisdom and also to experience accelerated authentic Accelerated authenticity, one of our faculty talks about that a lot, how profoundly moving that can be for people to feel they can, their voice can really be heard and they can find their own inner wisdom. And may that be very true in healing circles all over the world. We started Healing Circles Houston because we wanted to make a difference in our community to serve our neighbors in a meaningful way. We serve people with loss, illness, advanced cancer, veterans, storm victims, and healthcare workers. We serve people who are hurting, and we serve people who are wounded. And we served each other in ourselves. Those who serve are perhaps the greatest beneficiary. 
At Smith Center for Healing and the Arts, we really found that the healing circles add such a complement to the other programs that we offer. We like to think of what we do is offering you a basket, a basket of options for your healing, and then you can pick and choose which of those programs really works for you, whether it be our arts programming, our yoga, some of our other workshops, and then the Healing Circles brings together the two things we feel most passionate about, and that is that deep inner healing work and doing it in community. can be a better combination, and that's why we love having Healing Circles in our roster of programs, and it's a very important part of Smith Center's work. It's like we're walking back into that room again and having everybody around. Janie, Gretchen, and David were there. Lisa is the executive director of Smith Center, which was started about the same time that Kalanish started, about 25 years ago. The vision with Smith Center was to try and bring the work that has been happening in a rural environment, like the Bolina site where Commonweal is, into an urban center, into a very diverse urban center, the large African-American community. The neighborhood has changed a lot in the last 25 years, but Smith Center is still carrying forward the Healing Circles work, as well as other programming. They do amazing work. It's worthwhile looking into what Smith Center has done over the last 25 years. So Diana, when we're looking at Healing Circles, how it grew since that meeting, what are some of like the core ideas, what are the core values that kind of define what Healing Circles and in some of the conversations with Christina and Anne and with Parker as well with Janie last week, we talked about some of the key tenets of the work that they were doing. How did these things come together for Healing Circles? Well, you can just see from some of what you just said that there's such, there was a variety of cultures and goals and traditions and heritages And so what bound us together took some time actually to articulate because we always wanted to give as much freedom to all the individual initiatives and we didn't want in any way to constrict. But I'd say that the, uh, because it wasn't just this group, Smith Center joined us at our first conference that we held in the following spring. And we were joined by Revadim in Israel. So global, you know, became Canada and Israel and the US. And David's work in Houston built on that Smith Center work of being in an urban center, but was uh, not just cancer, it was community broadly and through a realm of different types of partners. So it's like everybody was experimenting. And I I think the core value is welcome, to welcome Mm -hmm. and widen that circle without barrier. I think that's the key tenet. The Mm -hmm. second is a deep respect for the fact that we each have within us a capacity to heal. And so all of us are not saying we're the experts, but trying to bring Mm -hmm. that out of people. I think that was a key foundational idea. The other is that uh, healing circles would would have no barrier to entry. So they're free or very low cost. Mm -hmm. And for those that were within retreat centers, there are addendums to the retreat centers, which of course have costs of food and lodging. But... Healing Circles, as you could see from Lisa, it becomes another area. And it also becomes a place for service. 
And that I think is fundamental to our mission that our volunteers receive an equal proportion to giving. Right. And there's no therapist in the group. There's no group leader. No. And I think it's so that's fundamental. We, we have hosts. We don't have leaders or facilitators. We have many therapists, <laughs> but they take off their therapist's hat and they put on their healing circles hat. Christine and Anne's idea of a leader in every chair became a healer in every chair. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's kind of the main thing. Uh, last week, Janie and Michael talked about the, the contracts of a healing circle. We, we call them agreements. And they're really what bind all of the diversity of who might be sitting in the circle and why they might be there into a common way of being together. And um, so can I share those? Because I think they would be good. Yeah. First, we treat each other with kindness and respect. Mm -hmm. And Michael's put that in and we go, do we need to do that? (laughs) You know? And uh, but this was before 2016, so we we really did need to do that. Learning to treat each other with kindness and respect. Well, we would need another agreement if we really had that one down. Uh, the second one, which was what Christina and Anne had within their agreements, was that we listen with compassion and curiosity, and that's part of that ever widening circle of compassion that Einstein talked about. The third is we honor each other's paths to healing. So that's that fundamental idea. And don't presume to fix or save or give advice. So that second half of that, that that first part was really Kelly and I wanting to say open season. And the last part of that was Parker Palmer and Rachel Naomi Remen, both who had written about that fundamental idea. And that, of course, is the hardest for most of us to do. And so it becomes such a life journey. The fourth was that we share all stories are confidential. Langley is a very small community. Many people know each other. And so the need for confidentiality was so critical. And that too has become a deep, deep learning. And the last was that we trust that we each have guidance within us. And that's that sense of empowerment and that inner listening. Mm-hmm. And we rely on the power of silence to access it. So Christine and Anne use silence very effectively within group dynamics to give groups pause. And we we do that. And we also go, well, you know, but as individuals, we need to give ourselves that pause. Mm-hmm. That's very much about the, the agreements are agreements with ourselves, because it's kind of the stance that we're taking of when we bring ourselves to the circle. We will act in kindness and respect and compassion. We will keep confidentiality. Um, it's very much about who we are when we come into the circle. And I guess we're all agreeing together that we will all come in with that stance. And then the host and the guardian just hold the container where we can just all be present with that in mind. Yes. Is there, um, I know one of the things that we, that at Commonweal, there's a link of mystery, but also being very conscious of the the research and the health benefits that this kind of work brings. And a, a program that's been at Commonweal now beyond, beyond conventional cancer therapies, bcct.ngo, looks at some of the integrative medicine therapies that someone with cancer could tap into and explore 
in a, an accessible way and that's also evidence-based. Can you maybe shine a light a little bit about healing circles and where research comes into that or what are the health benefits that you know about? Yeah, you know, because of this experience that I had of the love in, you know, which was just days into my diagnosis, I just became endlessly curious about this piece of healing in community. And, you know, Rachel and Parker were way ahead of their time. They were way ahead of the research, but the research was blossoming at the time that we started Healing Circles Langley. And it's profound. Positive social support, social support that is good and caring, has been shown to help cancer patients live longer, to help heart patients recover quicker. It's preventative. It prevents heart disease and it prevents diabetes and even obesity. And it is better once you are sick. It extends life. It provides better uh, comfort. It alleviates pain. And it has the capacity to extend life and improve well-being and happiness for all of us. So that research is very wide and so provocative. But there's also a a big bit of the research that is the impact of negative social support. So what happens to children with adverse life events, what ha- to trauma, what happens to marriages, to the longevity of the people involved in bad and negative marriages? It takes uh, years off your life to be in a situation like that. For, for children who have more than four adverse childhood events, it takes 20 years off their lives. So, you know, getting it right was also really important. And another very key bit of research is that no social support is the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And we, another piece of research is that we're in an epidemic of loneliness caused by the mobility of our society. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you put all of that together, there was just a real drive in me to try to understand how can we offer this when it's not available? And then there's another piece of research that is also just as compelling, which is, and it's, you know, on my desktop today, but what is the role of meaning and purpose in extending our lives and uh, making us happier? And, and that's pervasive that when we are of service to others, we feel better, we're happier, we feel a contentment. We feel a sense of purpose in our lives. And there's even a magic uh, formula someone tried to draft, which is four hours a week can give you X amount of extra. I, you know, I've never been one that can uh, keep that kind of a, a strict balance to that. Yeah. So many of the volunteers for Healing Circles actually do volunteer a lot of, I mean, hours now that so many circles are being held you were mentioning the epidemic of loneliness and we just went, we are still going through a pandemic. And one of those qualities is a pandemic of loneliness as well. I think that COVID exacerbated and kind of literally kept us to our homes and in many cases alone. And of course, cancer continues as it did before. So in March, everything closed down, Healing Circles Langley closed down, the Commonweal Retreat Center closed down, Smith Center, 
Kalanish, all of our partners had to close down the physical spaces. And we were presented with a dilemma of where do we go from here? I remember the alumni groups at Commonweal, the alumni of the Cancer Health Program started to gather online. So maybe we can go back to kind of March 2020, which feels decades ago right now, but kind of what is the story of Healing Circles Global with the pandemic? Well, Kelly died February 21st. And uh, I saw that Gretchen Prampt in the chat box said that his service was her last public gathering, and it was for many of us. And so, you know, I, I was a new widow and did what all new widows did, was, was just in shock and um, couldn't really think past a step. And uh, we went into lockdown on Whidbey March 6th and the country on March 13th. And so, you know, it was just a big pause. And then like a week later, it's a Sunday, my whole family is together meditating at the same time. And I was just overcome with sorrow and just cried and cried that day. But I woke up the next morning and as life happens, I got an email that one of our oldest hosts had gotten onto Zoom, this thing called Zoom. And I just go, wow, if Gary's on Zoom, the world can be on Zoom and we need to be on Zoom. <laughs> and so uh, with the help of uh, Susanna Fest and Jeannie Strong, we got Healing Circles Langley up online, all of our circles within four days. And, you know, when you're grieving, you don't have very much energy. So that exhausted me. And I went back into my hole for another three days. And then I woke up with some energy and called you. And you and I had a conversation and we go, you know what? This is the moment. This is the moment that Healing Circles Global was designed for. We can be of use. We need to be of use. And so we began that process by inviting people to training. And we were just blown away that 60, 70 people were showing up out of a very small email list to say, yes, I want to help. I want to be trained. You're listening to a TNS conversation with Diana Lindsay and Oren Slosberg, co-presented with Healing Circles Global. So it's amazingly taken off because each person that walks in the door has so much to give, just as it was for Langley. And so we have these amazingly talented people coming and giving of their hearts and their souls and their service. And so do do you want to know what kind of numbers that's resulted? (laughs) We, We were... We were able to launch training about in May of 2020, and we quickly had to get systems together to offer circles to the world, and Petra Martin jumped in to make that happen, and and the other piece is that human potential, and Susanna Fest just jumped in to just help growing people and connecting people and collaborating with people, and so we were able to start our public circles in the fall. Mm-hmm. And so far, um, since the database was put in, which was March, September, we've had 8,800 circle service hours, 2,100 training engagement hours, 3,500 volunteer hours, people from 24 countries over five continents, 
have joined us in this and there is absolutely no strategic plan in the world <laughs> that could have imagined this. Yeah. And there's another really important piece, Oren, that I'd love to show a video, and that is in this saga of you know people getting together. The year after our first meeting, we, we had another gathering of the people of the centers, and Gretchen and Michael, I can remember, were sitting on the couch just talking, and they said, the nurses of the world need yeah. this. Well, none of us could have imagined right. how much the nurses and the healthcare providers, you know, what they were about to go through. And so the program that Gretchen and a beautiful team of nurses started with trainings, you know, in person and Mm -hmm. few and far between that team too just jumped into this with full passion and it would be great to hear from Lindsay Espahel as a representative of that team. Hi, my name is Lindsay Espahel and I am a member of the Healing Circles healthcare team and a nurse in Houston, Texas. I'd like to share with you a few applications of Healing Circles in healthcare that I've experienced. While Healing Circles started in cancer care for patients and their families, I have seen the power of Healing Circles for healthcare providers. Burnout is not new in our profession, and in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, we are seeing new levels of secondary trauma that providers are experiencing. I had one nurse share with me that she is going in on her days off to hold the hand of dying patients because their families can't be there. I had another nurse share, I've seen so much loss. I've never seen anything like this in my professional career and I don't know how to cope. I'm isolated from my family because I work on a COVID unit and I don't know where to go for support. It's heartbreaking to hear my colleagues and friends. Emerging research from the Journal of the American Medical Association from Shanafelt last year asked providers about what do you need to process this level of anxiety? And some of the responses were, hear me, support me, care for me. And that's what I'm hearing over and over again. And that's what I'm seeing healing circles provide, a space to be heard, a space to be supported, and a space to be cared for. Whether it is in everyday circles between two nurses on a floor or at shift change huddle, nurses leaving their shift asking simple questions. What are you leaving behind today so that you don't carry it home with you? an important question to help process trauma or formal circles where providers and nurses are gathering together to share what's on their hearts. It can be held around specific events such as a code or an adverse event or a patient death where nurses gather together in a circle around a patient bed and hold a moment of silence to honor that patient and have an opportunity to share from their heart. And the response has been that it is so powerful to just have a space where they can be 
heard and known by their colleagues, that it's like medicine to their soul. And I believe for the highest quality of healthcare, providers need an opportunity, a space and a framework to be able to share what they're carrying. And that's what I believe Healing Circles provides. I see it happening every day. A space, a framework to care for the people who care for people. If that's all we did, as they say at the Passover Seder, Dayenu, that would be a blessing. But it seems like so much more is happening. I was conscious not too long ago that it feels like Healing Circles has become a movement. I mean, really this emerged, our first public circle online was in September. And now we're about seven months later. And there are circles in different languages for different communities. And it emerged out of a deep need. I mean, what we heard from Lindsay is something we've been hearing again and again about the level of fatigue and burnout among uh, medical providers, first responders, what COVID has intensified so much and how the simplicity of Healing Circle was the right medication at the right time. And, and Lindsay and her team are bringing it beyond nurses to other people in the medical field. And this is all in a very natural and organic way because it's the right thing at the right time. It's not a large budget program. It's not one where we ever even did outreach or marketing. We've never really, we haven't spread the word. I actually can't even imagine what would happen. I mean, could you imagine what would happen if suddenly we let the world know about this? And right now there's an ongoing demand for more and more. Are you seeing that? I mean, like, well, maybe you can talk a little bit more about where Healing Circles has gone beyond our original plan that started in September. Well, it's, it's all about the people. Each new person coming in as a volunteer and offering what they can and what they can is so you know ranges and so we listen we and we listen for the hand raising and the the interest um we listen and we welcome the diversity of communities that people are from and the communities that people would like to reach and be part of and so that we have a cancer uh, offering that makes sense out of our evolution, but now there's nine circles. So any week, you know, you have choices of time that you can do that. Our grief teams, you know, we're, we've been, as you said, in this, this pandemic that's taught us about the value of social support in a way that absolutely no study ever could. We've all lived it in our bones. But many people suggest that we're about to understand grief in the same way, that we have just been holding it together and we're getting to the place where I used to say for myself, it's safe to cry. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think that our grief offerings are going to be really important in connecting to all of those mm -hmm. that have lost not only people, but just lost so much. We, we talked about healthcare, our caregiver team, you know, they've always been the right. ones who, who need circle and yet it's difficult to get to circle. And so being online is a tremendous blessing. But I, 
I want to talk about our coming together circles. This is the circles for all of us. And they're the ones that have completely taken off. There's currently 48 members of that team. And that team is tremendously creative because although the team is about bringing everybody together, there's also a lot of interest in in reaching specific populations. And so out of their initiative, we are now reaching the LGBTQ community. We have healing from injustice and just what is this moment of racial reckoning in this country and around the world? But we have uh, those that have working with other genders, um, circles for women, circles for men, different ways that we heal. Writing, for example, is a tremendous healing modality. We also have people reaching into new geographies. So how about a circle in German? And how about a circle for Europeans? Our training team is enlarging to have a European training team and an Asian training team because at any given moment, a third of the world is asleep. So we need to be able to offer circles in time zones that um, people can reach to. So I feel like the growth can happen because somebody steps forward and says, uh, death and dying, for example. You know, we have a a wonderful man in the Bronx who goes, this is uh, this is important to me and I'm I'm willing to hold this. And he... He joined with uh, a man who's made his career as a palliative doctor. And it's just these kinds of links that are so precious. When we sit in circle and somebody shows up from Slovenia and from Brazil and from Vietnam and from South Africa and Scotland and Portugal and Canada, we, we never take that for granted. That's always a, a magical moment. Yeah. And maybe this would be a good time to bring in um, the voices of some more of our colleagues that have looking out and seeing how healing circles can expand. It's been very much an emergent process. So someone feels the calling to hold a death and dying group, to hold a group for people that are dealing with autoimmune um, questions. And I'm seeing in the chat some of the conversation about what would happen to uh, a group of police officers or the healing that's needed in the BIPOC community. And we've seen this emerge as when you have the experience, it resonates with your calling. Kind of kind of a little bit going back to what you're talking about meaning and purpose is like, here's a way, to, a way for me to manifest that calling. Let's, let's bring in those other voices. I started hosting gratitude circles last year during the pandemic. Even if we couldn't be in real space together, I wanted to be in real time. We started the circles with our G-Thanks community, the people who use our gratitude app. And then we expanded. I partnered with a woman, Belinda Liu, who created a company called Gratitude Blooming. And we love that there was no fixing, saving, or advising of others, that each person was their best inner teacher and guide, and that silence is a participant. Gratitude has two wings, self-care and shared connection. In a circle, we're able to fly with both wings. And when we fly with both wings, we're open to synchronicity, that beautiful coincidence and magical possibility where healing is possible. 
The center is a home for transformative work where we cultivate our individual and collective liberation. We work to dismantle oppressive systems and transform culture. We have a strong focus on supporting black, indigenous, and people of color. Our initiatives serve those who are dedicated to taking action for racial, gender, environmental, and economic justice. The center offers gatherings, events, practices, community network, and other resources. This includes healing circles to learn, explore, hear each other's stories, and to heal. We're based in Southern California, and recently we've created a healing circle space for Blacks and AAPIs who want to come together to talk about all of what's happening in our world today. The space was needed, especially when the violence escalated in this last month, and we've had more people asking us for uh, openings in this space, so we'll be creating more circles. Um, some young lawyers have contacted us from the Asian American Bar Group, as well as professors from local universities. So we'll be sharing this circle practice, and we are thankful to Healing Circles Global for setting the template and sharing the experience with the rest of us. And I'm just very excited that we are all engaged together around this globe at a time it is most needed. We're creating safe and sacred spaces for people to heal and to receive the deep medicine of the circle. You will be mentored, you'll have us at your back. There is a lot of support and I wish you all the very best to create these beautiful circles that will sustain all of us in these very challenging times. Thank you so much for the work you're doing. So great to see so many of our colleagues, um, Angela O, oh, who runs the Gift of Compassion program at Commonweal, who's also a board member of Commonweal, created a healing circles for Asian Americans in the Los Angeles region, specifically to bring those communities together. Um, or Victoria Santos, who is now looking at how healing circles can support liberation, could create a container for those kind of conversations. All these volunteers are stepping up to create these spaces that I think is what we've been seeing with Healing Circles, kind of the role of how Healing Circles can bring to the healing of ourselves, but also of the world. It's been Commonweal's mission since the beginning in 1976, heal ourselves and heal the planet. And I think Healing Circles reverberates with that. Uh, before I turn it back to you, Diana, this is a fundraiser for Healing Circles. As I mentioned before, the social movement that emerged happened out of very low budget and mostly based on volunteerism and the passion and the commitment of the people that are involved. But as the word is getting out, it's expanding to new communities. And I think if you're noticing in the chat, they're planning things for the BIPAC community, specifically for the Asian American community. And maybe Diane, if we have time, we can look at the potential for other communities as well. But if you follow the link in the chat, any kind of support is what allows us to provide all these trainings and all the trainings are at no cost, as well as the attending of any circle is at no cost. And that was one of the core principles that Diana and Kelly had from the very beginning, that it should be accessible. Diana, what, what inspires you when you heard the last videos? People, you know will always inspire me. The question of service, you know, being of use to each other, how, you know, how do we do that? And when I, when I just listened to 
the last three speakers and and our first three speakers, they were people who can envision something and create a center. Yeah, that's a big ass. That's a heavy lift. And that used to be what we were, what we asked of people. Uh, you know, go create a go create a center. What Healing Circles Global offers is a way for anybody to say, you know what, I I have a few hours this week. I have a few hours every week. I'd like to give. There's not the heavy lift of that because we have the way of reaching people and we have the way of enrolling them and and you can just show up and be of service. But as as a movement, we are a learning community and there's a few principles that we've been evolving but we really look forward to everybody's con- contribution to that. First is that there's a free exchange of ideas. So when Angela learns something about the dynamic between Black and Asian Pacific Islanders, that circle can share with all the rest of us and make us all better. Mm-hmm. And when you know a, a circle here learns something about the deep loneliness of the pandemic, then that can be shared. So a free exchange of ideas, a true um, belief in learning together. So people throughout the world are doing this work and we don't know about them and we wish them the very best and we support them in their work. But if we can talk back and forth, if there can be some kind of reporting back. So when people are, for example, are done with our training, we invite them to either just take it in their community and run with it. Um, And we never know. That's what happened with Michael and Janie Brown. I mean, Janie just took off, created a whole center for 20 years and, and only reported back after 20. (laughs) So, but, but we're hoping to find a way to be in a, a community of communities where uh, mm-hmm. that this exchange of what's working can help. And, and we want it to be a loving community that the same agreements that are personal are also organizational. So, you know, you can contribute in, in any way in whatever place and just imagine right. what that could be. Um, turning to the chat, there's a few conversation that is happening there. There's a message from Christina Baldwin. What happens to a country that has been bombarded with adverse political environment that creates collective trauma? Somebody somewhere is studying the health and mental health consequences of the past four years in the U.S. I say this because society sits outside the door of the safe space circles provide and sits inside us as well. Anyways, that you have noticed this. And there's actually a, a response from Chris M. Him for these, him or her to sign up for these sessions, and that he's working with the cohort. And many members of the cohort are police officers who are also needing support during this time of political trauma. And I know that tomorrow, in our panel with all of our guests from the last four months, we'll be looking ahead as to where circles might be of service. But I'm wondering if you have any reflections. There's another message here from Portia Chen Silverberg, who see that healing circles are so needed for the BIPOC community, especially women and Asian Americans at the moment. Anti-Asian hate violence has continued and intensified in this last year. Warren, I'm going to get to sit on that panel tomorrow, and you're going to moderate. And so you're 
not going to get a chance to answer that question. And I wondered <laughs> if you would, wouldn't mind my tossing it to you, because I've heard you speak on this. <laughs> you can always talk back. <laughs> <laughs> what I find about Healing Circles is that it creates a space where we're all equal partners. And we need to be looking at all the spectrum of the different peoples who live around, well, I could say globally, but just thinking in the space of the United States, how to create that spaces where everybody can engage and participate. And when I go back to the agreements that you talked about before, anybody could come with that presence. Anybody can take on that stance and join in a circle, whether as Portia said about creating spaces for the BIPEC community, or as Chris said, about creating space for police officers, or as um, Lindsay said in the in the video about creating these spaces for, for nurses, physicians, and other people in the medical profession. And as Victoria Santor said in about the Center for Healing and Liberation, is that being together in circle provides a container where we can actually go to these spaces to create the kind of transformation that we need in order to show up in that agreement stance, not only to the circle, but to the rest of our life. Mm -hmm. So that when we bring compassion and kindness and presence, we bring that to the circle, but also that can ripple out for us personally to other circles, the challenges of isolation and illness and trauma. They're so present. The fact that healing circles went from when you and I talked for the first time about Langley and Commonweal, and now it's in over 30 states, it shows, I mean, it demonstrates something that we knew, but as the pandemic did, it highlighted an existing condition of the world and just made it more evident, tangible, and so much more. The racism, the violence against communities of color, specifically against the African-American community, but the challenges and the violence against Asian-Americans, they're not new. These are not things that the pandemic caused, but the pandemic put a spotlight on it and we can all then come in circles and like, how do we hold this? So to me, as I see these circles within the context of the challenges that the world is holding, which we will go in tomorrow and really reflect on how circles can help us hold the polycrisis, the polycrisis being the different vectors of challenges that we have. The most prominent one we talk a lot about is climate change, but there's many more. I was on a panel yesterday with the Omega Network that was talking about the drop in sperm count and reproductive ability among men that has, <laughs> if it continues this way in 30 years, it's going to be hard to actually reproduce. So there's all these challenges and like, how do we hold that? And I think the stance of in individuals in the healing circle and the circle itself might be one of the first steps to take that. Absolutely, Oren. You know, I, I feel in a, in a way the world is going to come out and face these big challenges in much the same way I was recovering, or not recovering, just in the throes of the grief over Kelly's death. As individuals, as humans on this planet, we've been through tremendous trauma this year in every dimension, personally. And we're going to come out wounded, and we're going to come out needing healing, and we're going to need places for ongoing reflection. And at the same time, we have a world that continues to careen towards disaster and we have to learn to collaborate and be together and get creative 
fast. So how do we hold both of those, the, the need to deeply take care of ourselves and the need to deeply take care of our planet? And I feel like healing circles can do both. It has the, you know, we always start every circle with a, how are you? You know, how are you human being ready to be here, ready to do work? But first you count and how are you? And then we move into the, okay, now we can broaden that perspective. But just as Einstein talked about from our own limited, we can start to have our eyes out to the world. And I think as we go through the various challenges, you know, we're going to need to draw many, many points of view together. And we're going to need some basic agreements and guidelines for how we're going to be when we do that. Uh, so I just see it as kind of practice for everything that we're being called yeah. to do right now. Yeah, I mean, in the chat, Christina is saying, as the world has to face our terminal diagnosis and the need to seek healing, whether or not there is. And, and I remember that we have done that comparison that on a personal level, when we face a cancer diagnosis, is somewhat similar to what we're looking at the planet right now, is that there are a lot of challenges and how do we move ahead when we have that in front of us. This is one of the challenges of working in the space of the poly crisis is like, how do we make meaning when we see the threats that are coming towards us and towards our children and toward our cultures and towards our communities? Those threats that are, they're here already, they're, they're not distributed equally, but they're, they're with us already. So how do we hold that? What are the capacities? How do we face that? Christina says that the need to seek healing, whether or not there is a cure, circle is a spontaneous arising of space that we remember who we are. And like Diana, let's start with the love. <laughs> you did at the very beginning of healing circle, a planetary love. And um, one of the reasons I think that healing circles has this quality of a social movement of I've never been part at the beginning of a movement. I remember during the days of the AIDS pandemic in San Francisco in the late 80s and early 90s, being part of the gay community, there was this arising of presence and of a desire for power to confront power. The arising now, it feels dissimilar, but it's a rising of healing to ripple out the healing as a way to hold us together as we face either it's our grief or isolation our cancer, our autoimmune disease, or the challenges with being who we are um, in a world that needs healing as well. Beautiful, Lauren. Then when you look at healing circles in the next few months, where do you see it evolving? Well, I see a need to respect the cycles of life. I think as a planet, <laughs> And as individuals, you know, here, here we are, those of us that are fortunate enough to have gotten vaccines, you know, are starting to peek our heads out the door and wonder, do I wear a mask when I do that or do I not? How far can I go? How I hunger to be with family that I haven't seen. How I hunger to be in places that have meant a lot to me in my life. It's that, that feeling of survival. And so I feel like for our hosts, this is also a very important moment and they're going to need to take care of themselves. And 
I do not see the next few months as a time of big growth. I hope that this could be a lesson in sustainability and self-care and that we can get a In Langley, we have this thing, if there's something to be done, it takes three people to do it. One, to go visit the grandkids and do whatever they need to do, one to get sick and one to actually get the job done. And so if there's any job, we always have three people on it because we understand that that service is part of the ebb and the flow of life. And so as people are joining us, we're, we're hoping that they're joining and being backup so that our hosts can take some breathers and, you know, to respect this moment of, of time of needing to connect with, with deep and cherished people and places. And then I feel once that pause that it just will be a time of tremendous creativity mm -hmm. and our job will, will be to respond to try to be as responsive as we can you're listening to a tns conversation with diana Lindsay and oren slosberg co-presented with healing circles global but knowing that it's not there's no one person that that holds the answer to any of this. This is a collective mind and it's a collective service. So I think that we'll see many more partnerships and organizations. We've just been really doing the person to person so far. We haven't really been doing organization to organization, but that's starting to come. My, my inbox is starting to fill with other organizations and so then that will be another deep learning of how do we do that? Mm -hmm. There's a, a question that came up. Where can we find the research that you've mentioned before? I actually ha do have that research compiled. And so you know, maybe the best thing is to post it on our site. When the recording of these different conversations is posted, we'll be sending out an email and we'll include all the different links that have been mentioned in the in the chats. I'm going to read some questions from the chats, um, which is moving fast. Um, this is a statement from Rima Imburgia. And excuse, I may have mispronounced that. I apologize. We've been offering circles for white, white biracial women on healing racism within my community, my community myself, as well as women's circles focused on detoxing from misogyny. As a white presenting Palestinian American, I am longing for a circle by white passing folk like me or a circle specifically for biracial where white is one of their identities. It is important to hold space for the complexity of these identities within. Thank you for that question, Rima. And this is how circles are born. When there's a need within a community, um, someone of that community can go through the training and then we can provide the whole infrastructure to make these kind of circles happen. When you talk about emergent strategies and the strategic plans that we tried to write back in the day and try and hold this, once we let go of it, the strategy actually emerged. So someone like Rima could mention a circle. It doesn't mean that they have to do it themselves but someone for whom this resonates will come and make that kind of offering available. And then we become a channel for communities to come together. Yes. And, uh, you know, and I also really encourage Rima to come and, and help, you know, just in the little town of Langley uh, or South Whidbey, which has tremendous economic diversity, but very little racial 
diversity. Still, we have a circle for BIPOC only, and we also have circles for owning our own racism, predominantly for the white community. Right now, there is a circle from Healing Circles Global, Healing from Injustice, that is a place for both, where we have a group meeting next week to discuss individual needs of different cultures, uh, whether that's to be have that place where they can be alone and talk of the pressures, whether they want to include, as Angela did, two races, you know, whatever the community needs to come in and be part of a team that can begin the process of offering it or do the training and then just take it back into the communities where you are. But what is lovely about global is, you know, being able to feel like you're not alone in whatever dimension you're, you're in that it's so much easier to make contact with others. And then just to say, let's do this together. Yeah. I wish David Spa was with us today because what, what David did in, in healing circles in Houston demonstrates a little bit about that nimbleness, um, specifically after Hurricane Harvey, when a significant part of a very big city was in distress. Um, David is actually on this. I don't know if we can surprise him and make him a panelist and have him tell the story of healing circles in Houston. Um, I think it was, oh, there is David. There he, comes. There he is. David, I'm sorry to surprise you in this way, but um, I, I thought that the story of Healing Circles that you did um, with the Latino community after Harvey would be a wonderful way to kind of bring that as the last example of our conversation uh, today. We became, shortly after Harvey, we became part of a collaborative called Greater Houston Healing Collaborative, which is a group of psychosocial organizations that have come together to respond to crises. And uh, under the leadership of Dr. Gordon kind of developed or learned a circle model that was uh, specifically for trauma and people who had been through intense trauma. Our team, uh, Healing Circles Houston, were, or a number of our team members were trained and still provide those, uh, engage in those kind of circles uh, Dr. Gordon, Gordon goes around the world responding to crises, and people may have seen his piece on 60 Minutes uh, some years ago. Anyhow, it was a we married sort of our experience with healing circles with the uh, uh, with the curriculum that uh, Dr. Gordon taught around dealing with trauma. And it was just a beautiful marriage, and it worked out very well. We had numerous circles with people who had lost their homes and had been, you know, seriously affected by the hurricane. Wow. The group has gone on to serve communities with mass shootings and other, you know, crisis, crisis events that take place around the country. And Greater Houston Healing Collaborative is intended to be a kind of strike force to respond to crisis. David, could you also share how you partnered with different organizations throughout Houston? Okay, Houston has 7 million people and it can, at certain times of day, take two hours to go two miles in a car. So we, rather than being a center-based, we have a center in Houston, but rather than being based at a center, we took the approach of 
reaching out to organizations that were like-minded and loved what we did. And we would uh, train their staff and be virtually embedded in those organizations. And we found that as the appropriate approach to expand in a city like, at least for us in Houston, there are plenty of big centers around Houston. So we didn't feel like we needed to create another one. So what we were doing was taking this process and the methodology we had learned uh, together to those organizations, hospitals, faith-based institutions, the local area, Houston Young Center, uh, different organizations around town. Addiction, homelessness? Oh, yes. Recovery. Uh, we did start circles with a homeless, homeless group. We have veterans, a circle that's still meeting in person outdoors. Uh, which are mostly homeless veterans. Thank you, Different David. Different kinds of circles. Yeah. Thank you for, for jumping on. But as we describe the, the movement quality of healing circles, I think the work that you've done in Houston with so many different communities, the Latino communities, the church communities, the vets community, the homeless community, it just kind of shows the rippling of, uh, of a social movement and seeing it come to be. Um, we have about um, seven minutes left, and I want to give um, Diana some space for some final words, but I do want to remind everyone that it's been an exciting journey that tomorrow will bring all of our panelists together, and we'll have a chance to look at their learnings, but also to kind of build on the question that Christina presented to us before about how do we look forward, what we were talking about, healing circles into the world that we're moving into so that will be the conversation tomorrow at 10 o'clock on this same very channel. Um, also, another reminder that this is part of a fundraising effort so we can continue to do all this kind of work. I, I won't even dare to say online what is the budget of Healing Circles Houston, but it is minuscule. No one in Houston is paid. Uh, global and of Houston, both of them. There are very few paid staff. It all comes out of an awareness and a personal experience about the transformative quality that Healing Circles has. And I'm seeing in the chat many of our colleagues who are volunteers, like Julie here in Petaluma, who's one of the coordinators of the Cancer Circles. So Diana, for the last few minutes, what, what's on your heart right now? Or maybe to use a different question from Michael, what's your learning edge right now? Hmm. What, what just comes to mind is a quote that Kelly and I told ourselves every day from the Zen Buddhist tradition. What is, is. What isn't, isn't. And no amount of wishing or hoping can change that. So when you're given a terminal diagnosis and you hear that, it feels like the prognosis is the is that you're going to die and you're going to die within three months. That's the is. But Kelly and I turned that around to say, well, a prognosis is and isn't. It's not here now. What is, is how I feel today, right now. And what am I capable of? And where can I love? And where can I find joy? And the isn't category became something to relish because instead of just one path forward, there were thousands of paths. Well, why, why do I even limit myself with thousands? <laughs> you know, There were millions of paths. One just didn't know what all those paths were. And we realized that together, at least 
with our very limited consciousness that Einstein talked about, at least there were two of us looking out at those thousands of paths. <laughs> and suddenly with Healing Circles Global, well, you know, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of hours where people are sitting together doing that, looking within for answers, looking without to see the world. And that to me is, is our possibility that we can just create so many more options and alternative ways. And this feeling like the planet is at a terminal moment can be really transformed mm -hmm. by the millions of paths that we set forth. Diana Lindsay, the director of Healing Circles Global, and so much more. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank I look you forward to seeing you again tomorrow. We hope this conversation has inspired you to find out more about Healing Circles Global, which you can at healingcirclesglobal.org. As I mentioned, any donation is very much appreciated. The New School at Commonweal has a wonderful lineup of a lot of different programs. You can check it out on the New School website. All of these events will be included on the Healing Circles Global website. And tomorrow is our last session. I wanted to thank um, Daron Chovav and Petra Martin who have been behind the scenes today helping with this production. Thank you all very much. And what maybe, um, there's a, a poem that we use that's a song, well, it's a poem um, by Rumi. And it's usually one that we use to open when we start gatherings at Commonweal, when we used to open, when we used to come together. Um, and it's one that I think many of you probably know. And maybe after the poem, Diana, you can ring us in and out of a moment of silence. Mm -hmm. Come, come, whoever you are, wanderer, worshiper, lover of leaving, come, come, wherever you are. This isn't a caravan of despair, cause it doesn't matter if you've broken your vows a thousand times before, and yet again, come, come again, come, and yet again, come. Thank you, Oren. Lovely talking with you. Thanks to everybody that was with us. We really appreciate your comments, your questions, and your energy. Deep gratitude for all that you do. And you. You've been listening to a TNS conversation with Diana Lindsay and Oren Slosberg, co-presented with Healing Circles Global. Thank you for listening to TNS, the new school at Commonweal. The New School at Commonweal is directed by Michael Lerner. Our program coordinator is Kara Epstein. Our audio producer is Ken Adams. And our theme music is by Jeremy Cohen. Post-production editing by Jerome Havev. Visit us online at tns.commonweal.org. That's tns.commonweal.org. Commonweal is spelled C-O-M-M-O-N-W-E-A-L. You can also find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Facebook, YouTube, Vimeo, and Amazon Music. Thanks for listening.